We are continuing our Optimist podcast series with the breakdown of the Optimist Creed and how to live a better optimistic life. Pleasure to welcome Mark Weinsoff, our 2020-2021 international president. Mark, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Shane. So, Mark, one of the things we always talk about is your optimist story. And now, you know, we always start out somewhere in the optimist organization to become move your way up to the Optimist International. But let's talk a little bit of how you became an optimist. Sure. Uh my optimist journey started uh, before I ever looked at a, knew what an optimist club was. I was 20 years old and a student at University of California, Santa Barbara, and I was the manager of the campus radio station. And as a student manager, I had to be supervised by a staff person. And I was sitting in my staff advisor's office one day. And he was talking to me, but over his shoulder was the Optimist Creed. And I read that. And as a 20 year old, it made a huge impression on me. And of course, I didn't know uh, it was associated with an Optimist Club or anything like that. He happened to be a member of an Optimist Club. But I just tucked that away in my memory. I couldn't even Google it in those days uh, to see what it was or, or print my own copy. But uh, I always remembered it. And eventually, uh, as a as a nonprofit radio station, we do fundraisers every once in a while, and we were part of a thing in Santa Barbara called Fiesta, or Old Spanish Days, where all the nonprofits have booths where they can sell things. And one of the things they do is have a meeting ahead of time to uh, coordinate our efforts. And there were people from Kiwanis and Lions and uh, Rotary and and of course Optimists there. But again, I still didn't know they were associated with the Creed. But uh, we were all talking and I was thinking to myself as a young student, uh, you know, when I get old like these guys someday, maybe I will do, uh, 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 you know, they were talking about all the service projects they were involved in. I thought, this is great that these guys are doing all this. And I say old because I was 20 years old and they were probably in their 30s and 40s. But uh, I, again, tucked that away. And eventually, after graduating from uh, college, I started my career in radio and decided that wasn't the way to go and turned to banking, became a uh, vice president in charge of marketing of a bank, but I was also a branch manager. And every uh, day, the gas station next door, the uh, owner of the gas station would come in and he would uh, make his deposit from the previous day's uh, receipts. And while he, the tellers were counting that and stuff, I would always chat with him and we would talk about um, his uh, children, you know, in high school and things like that. And one day he said to me, Mark, I want you to come to my Optimist Club and uh, see what see what we're doing. And I said, sure, I'd love to do it. And, and frankly, as a branch manager, they told me to get involved in service organizations. Uh, this was quite some time ago, 30 some years ago. And uh, in those days, uh, bank managers always belonged to a service club of some kind. And so I was looking for something like that. Uh, and uh, he, anybody who walked in the door who asked me to come to the Kiwanis or Lions Club would have gotten me also. But he happened to ask me to come to an Optimist Club. Well, I walk into breakfast the next Wednesday, and the first thing I see is the Optimist Creed, which I had remembered, of course, from seeing it uh, about 10 years earlier. And I signed up on the spot. I didn't care what they were doing. I knew this club was for me because... That Optimist Creed really resonated with me. So that's how I became involved in, in an Optimist Club the first time. Uh, do you want me to go on and tell you how, where things went from there? Yeah. Did you, like your role as president, lieutenant governor, such an 
you know, as sure. you move forward on with that. So the first thing that happened was I they, you know, have things going on all the time in a club, you know, uh, different projects or whatever. Well, our big fundraiser, this uh, again, uh, it was the old Spanish days. And so that was coming up and I had already been involved in old Spanish days from my uh, previous work in the campus radio station. So I jumped right on it immediately. And it's a four day festival uh, uh, in Santa Barbara. Everybody comes out and there's a parade and all this. But uh, we run booths and we, we we sold merchandise. The Optimus Club did. And. So I jumped right in and I was spending hours, you know, every day there for for the four days of the festival. And I didn't realize that that was a little bit unusual. I thought everybody was supposed to just do that. And uh, the two guys who were running the booth said, uh, you you know, took a look at me and said, you know, we got to get this guy to uh, get more involved in this booth. So they started showing me how to shut down and and open it up and things like that. And I was just the innocent guy. didn't really realize what they were doing. But uh, when they gave their report at the end of the uh, fiesta at the next Optimus Club meeting, uh, they said, uh, "Okay, you know, they gave the whole report and they said, now we're not going to do this next year uh, and we're turning it over to Mark. He will be in charge of the booth next year. So and of course, I still didn't know any better. So I said, "Okay, I'll do that. You know, I figured, well, maybe we just change every year. Well, for the next 20 years, I was in charge of that booth. Uh, and it, it was great and it was good, but uh, it just shows that uh, I'll, I, I may not know how to say no yet. So uh, things come along and five years later, they asked me to be president. And in those days, we never repeated a president in our club. So they, I never wanted to be president. I didn't want to do anything like that. I was happy just doing the work. And they said, well, you have to be president this year. And I said, OK, well, I will, I'll be president, but I'm not going to any of those district meetings. Uh, because I don't care about any of that stuff. I just care about what we're doing here in Santa Barbara. They said, well, that's fine, but you have to go to the first one where they do the president training. Okay, I'll do the president training. And the previous president said, I'll just keep going to the meetings for you so you don't have to go to the rest of them, but you have to go to this one. So I go to my first district meeting. This is before I'm even president. And I have such a great time there and I learned so much. I decided, well, I guess I will go to these district meetings. And part of the process was the lieutenant governors give their reports. And, you know, this first time I'd ever heard of a thing like a lieutenant governor. So uh, but he wasn't doing a real good thing. In fact, what happened was about five minutes before he was supposed to give his report, he comes up to me and says, Mark, what's your club doing? And so I said, I, yeah, here's we did this, we did that. And then he goes there and he says, "Okay, this is what the Northside Optimus Club of Santa Barbara is doing. I was like, wow, I guess that's how this works. Uh, (laughs) The the next year, we got a new lieutenant governor and this guy was great and really did what a lieutenant governor should do. He visited the club. He uh, got all the clubs in the zones in the zone together. There were four clubs in our zone. And uh, we did projects together. We had picnics together and we're having a great time. And I I kept telling him, this is great. I I really like what you're doing as lieutenant governor here. Well, at the next uh, May district meeting later on down the road, uh, he sits me down one time for lunch and he says, Mark, I know you like what I'm doing as lieutenant governor. I said, yeah, you're doing a great job. He says, well, if you want to see that continue, you need to be lieutenant governor next year. And I said, no, no, I don't have time for that kind of stuff. I really thought it would be a very time consuming job. And uh, he said, no, you've got to do it because if if you don't do it, 
the guy from the year before is going to come back and do it. And I said, all right, well, I'll do it. And it turned out to be the most fun job that I've ever had in this organization. Uh, it was really fantastic. Uh, as a lieutenant governor, you visit all the clubs and you see what they're doing. And, and that's what's really great about this organization that most people don't realize. So we get involved in our club and we think that's enough. And it is. And for most people, it really is. Um, but uh, when I saw what the other clubs were doing, it was really even more um, engaging for me and, and, and drew me in more to the organization because I realized how the magnitude of what we were doing around the world and how each club was doing different things that were impacting their community. And I could bring some of those things back to my club and we would bring start new projects and things like that from that. So I really uh, felt... Uh, uh, drawn in at that point. And then um, things continued to develop. And, uh, you know, I was a distinguished and outstanding lieutenant governor that year. We started a new club up in our zone in, in uh, at that time, it was uh, the Buellton Club. And, uh, you know, even that was interesting, because I didn't know what I was doing. And the um, governor, we have a go district governor, she says to me, uh, hey, Mark, uh, are you going to build a club? And I said, sure, I'll build a club. And then I didn't think anything about it, didn't do anything about it. And a few months later, she comes back to me and says, Mark, what, how are you doing on that club? And I said, oh, I don't have time. And she says, no, Mark, we're coming up on Thursday. Uh, she and another guy named Jim Oliver. And she says, we're going to come up and we're going to start working on that club. So she walked me hand in hand and we I learned how to build a club. And and that was a great experience, too, because bringing optimism to a new community and finding a need in the community and and filling that need with an optimist club was really rewarding. And it was great to see the things the club was doing. So I was hooked on building clubs. So eventually I built uh, many more. Um, and um, as happens in our organization, they saw that success and said, well, Mark, you should be governor now. So uh, I really wasn't interested in that, but I did it. Uh, and it was, uh, again, just a great experience. And, and one thing I, I would also note is why I would do something like that is because you meet not only you find great things that clubs are doing, but you meet outstanding individuals uh, in, in the organization. And one local guy that I knew as lieutenant governor was uh, Al Turnbull, was really the greatest optimist I have ever met. And he did so many things. And and our club now has uh, planted a grove of trees in his honor. He's, he's passed away now. But uh, meeting people like that who just dedicate their lives to making their world a better place uh, is, is just something that uh, when you can help facilitate that as a leader in this organization is just, again, so rewarding. And so uh, I did the governor thing and became distinguished uh, in that uh, as a governor as well. We grew our district by 147 members that year. And uh, of course, that led to uh, uh, being recognized at higher levels. And they asked me eventually to do some training and things like that. And I loved the leadership development. I was on the leadership development committee for Optimist International for several years. And they said, Mark, you should go on the board of directors. And I said, no, I like what I'm doing in leadership development. This is more fun. I don't want to do that business stuff. They said, no, you need to go on the board of directors to learn more about the organization. So I did that. And uh, it was a great experience. Uh, you find out the real full picture of the international organization when you're on the board of directors. And then, of course, the next thing they did was uh, after I left the board, you know, as my term was ending, they asked me to be the president. And by that time, I can kind of see it coming. And 
I was ready for it and retired actually a little bit early um, uh, from work. I retired uh, to to be, you know, I ended up working at the University of California, Santa Barbara for 22 years during during all that um, time as an optimist. I moved out of banking and got into technology. C computers came around. So I joined an optimist club in 1987 and I bought my first computer, one of the early computers in 1988 with a what was a huge hard drive at the time of uh, uh, 40 megabytes. And uh, my brother asked me, what are you going to do with all that space? Well, now, uh, as you can imagine, it, that's ridiculous. But uh, so I got involved in technology from the ground floor and uh, became a, a tech person at UCSB and did that for 22 years. And that enabled me to retire with a pension and become the international president, which was a fantastic experience. Uh, with the exception of uh, it being during the pandemic year of COVID. And so uh, I was not able to travel around the world as as past presidents have done, but I traveled by Zoom. So, and luckily being a tech guy, I was familiar with how to use the technology. And so I would do things like, uh, I can remember one day, uh, and, and basically I spent every Saturday sitting in the chair I'm sitting in right now, uh, doing Zoom meetings from morning till dark. And uh, I'll, uh, one particular day, I remember at 5 p.m. on a Friday, I talked to a club in Nepal. And then on 8 a.m. Saturday, I uh, talked with a club in Florida. And then at 9 a.m., I talked with a club in Texas. And at noon, I talked with a club in Nebraska. And at two, I talked with a club in Canada, I think it was Ontario. And then at five, I talked to a club in uh, Oregon. And then at seven, I talked with a club in the Philippines. So uh, you can imagine, and unfortunately, as president, you end up saying the same thing over and over. So I did that for <laughs> uh, quite some time. And uh, I would walk downstairs and kind of sigh. And my wife would say, wow, you're, you're, and of course my wife, she could hear me from downstairs and she could do give my speeches by heart herself. But uh, it was great experience. I was able to really uh, reach out to more people that way than if I had traveled in person. And so uh, while uh, the pandemic was not that great for anybody in the world, uh, it, uh, it had the silver lining of allowing me to uh, get the word out to more people because I could do uh, things like we just described. So that's my journey through optimism and brings us up to today. So when, yeah, so when you were along the way, people were telling you to do these things, you know, moving you up the organization. Somebody always said, Mark, hey, you should do this. That's Which correct. Kind of, you know, <laughs> I, I never was looking to advance. I was always looking, oh, I'm glad this is over. Now I can go back to just doing things in my club. But you're right. People kept uh, bringing me to the next step. Well, kind of, you know, just segues into our topic today of to look at the sunny side of everything and make your optimism come true, because they were always looking on the sunny side to keep moving you up in the organization. That's correct. And one of the interesting things is uh, when after I completely you know, left the banking uh, world, I got a master's degree in uh, psychology and I came upon this, the new field of positive psychology. And uh, at that time, 1991, a book came out uh, um, called Learned Optimism by Martin Seligman. And so I read that and that was a revelation. Uh, and he's written many more books, the most recent of which, well, it may not be the most recent anymore, but the most recent I've read is a book called Flourish where he talks about the components of well-being. But my how this relates to my optimist journey 
is uh, one of the things that uh, I realized, and a lot of people realize this, but uh, uh, I came to it through the science of positive psychology, is that um, we often spend our lives pursuing happiness. And what uh, that turns out is some, we, we, we're always looking for the next thing that will make us happy. So I'm, oh, I'll be happy when I get a new job, or I'll be happy when I graduate from college, or I'll be happy when I get a new car, all these things. And then we, that happens, and we are happy for a short period of time, but then we go back to our normal level. So we're always in this pursuit of happiness and never really catching it. And what the field of positive psychology started focusing on is what do we need to do to have a good state of well-being so that we're always in a state of well-being as opposed to pursuing that short-lived happiness. And when you do that, happiness comes right along with it. And uh, so when I look at the line of the creed that says, uh, to look at the sunny side of everything and make your optimism come true. I realize, you know, this is the view, there's a view of optimists. And often when I introduce myself as an optimist, somebody will say, oh, so you think the world is a great place all the time and you look at rose-colored glasses. And actually it's quite the opposite of that in my mind. Uh, optimists realize this world is not a perfect place and we don't even have to, you know, it's almost unavoidable these days. Uh, you don't even have to watch the news. You're gonna hear all the bad things that are going on in this world. But what makes us, what makes optimists have a superpower and what that is, is we realize even though this world is not a perfect place, we have the power to change it. And that power is hope. With hope comes the, the realization that we, our actions matter and we can take action that will make this world better. So while individually we may not be able to make this world a perfect place, Collectively, each of us working in our own way to uh, make our optimism come true. Uh, and that's what I like about that line is it's not just a passive, oh, things are great. It's we have to make our optimism come true. And that's what we do in our optimist clubs. And uh, that's the the superpower of optimism. And that this world has only gotten better through optimists. Anybody who's changed the world for the better is really an optimist because they see the world as it is and they know they can make it better. And that's really what anybody's journey through life should be, is that I'm here to leave a positive imprint on the world. And that's what we do through our optimist clubs. And if you're looking for the sunny side of everything, that is actually pursuing happiness as well, just to make sure you see the bright side of everything and to make things that you want to happen come true. Exactly. So I gave the example of the pandemic, which of course was a terrible thing. But uh, we made the most of it. And and actually, uh, in some ways, uh, it, they, there were some benefits of it uh, through the ability to reach out to each other. And, and in fact, optimists were more necessary than ever during the pandemic because we were a beacon of hope for other people. And, that, and that's one of the things that uh, I think is important as well when we talk about um, making your optimism come true, to look at the sunny side of everything and make your optimism come true. Optimism is contagious. And so when we are optimistic and when we give a smile to somebody else, when we have a positive attitude, even in the face of uh, difficulties, that's contagious with other people. So we could be in a group of people who are in a bad situation. And when we project our optimism, the rest of the group is lifted up with that. And they they become more optimistic as well. Shane, I didn't quite get that. No, sorry. That uh, um, when we move forward with all this stuff, like I said, you know, 
people are always looking for something. And if they look at the Optimist organization, they are going to find some amazing things when they look at us and join us and be a part of our organization to be, you know, doing good in their community. So it's important that we, you know, continue to show people the good things that we do here in the organization. Absolutely. And so that's one of the most important things, you know, and that's why as I move forward as a leader in this organization, you know, like I said, originally, I was just interested in what our club was doing. And, you know, and one of the things I'm um, proud of is during my tenure as, as uh, president is we started participating in the International Day of Happiness, which is March 20th, as declared by the United Nations. And uh, so uh, our goal is all Optimus clubs around the world on March 20th, as every day would do something to promote happiness in our community. And so that's one of the things we would do here in Santa Barbara is we put a happiness wall up and we would have passersby post on the wall what they were going to do to share happiness that day. And I think that's one of the things we could do. But what I started to say is not only can we do that in our own club, but as a leader of this organization, we have the opportunity to share that happiness with new communities. And as we build new clubs, so one of the things that people don't understand about um being an optimist in an organization like this is that we need to open new clubs in new communities that don't have what we have. So we recognize the joining an optimist club and, and the guy who invited me, his name was Eddie Marquez, and I will never uh, forget him. He also has passed away. I've been an optimist for 35 years. So um, uh, I've gone through uh, that a lot of things, but uh, my my sponsor, Eddie Marquez, passed away, but I will never forget the gift he gave me as an optimist. And I remember that, and I need to continue to give that gift to others. And we can do that in new communities by building a new optimist club in a new community and where people can receive the benefits I've had. I'm a better human being today because I joined an optimist club. And uh, being surrounded by positive people is actually one of the greatest predictors of longevity. And so, uh, in fact, there's a new book out called The Good Life, and I just started reading it. So I haven't read the whole thing, but the the most important point they make, this is a based on an 86-year study uh, that ha- was done in Harvard and has expanded over the years. Uh, but the one prime point they they make is that relationships are the most important thing in people's lives for their general well-being and happiness, as well as longevity uh, in life. So uh, surrounding yourself with positive people in an optimist club is something that does has so many benefits for you. Not only does it uh, help you live longer, makes you happier and healthier, and optimist science has shown are happier, healthier, more successful people. So surrounding yourself with optimists is the best thing you can do. And that's one of the things we need to do is build relationships and have people join clubs, build new clubs and communities that really need them to make a difference in those communities. That's correct. And that's that's why, you know, as an organization, you know, we focus on that. As a club, you, you don't see the real reason for that because you're just focused on your activities in your community. But as an organization, we need to understand that we need to bring this to new communities. And you can see this in the growth of optimism in Nepal, for instance, because, uh, and I don't remember when the first club was, but it was only about five years ago that we put the first club in Nepal. But it became such a movement in uh, in in that country and, and was so important that now there are over 40 clubs in Nepal. 
and uh, and it's a small country. And same thing happened in Jamaica and the Caribbean when we started bringing clubs there. Um, you know, uh, it grew so fast, and they call it an optimist movement because it's so important for everyone to have access to um, the benefits of being an optimist. So uh, that's why, as an organization, we talk about it because we know, um, as a club, you may not be looking outside of your own community, but as a worldwide organization, we have to look at how we can fill in the holes and the gaps in this world where people need optimism. And just to, you know, to kind of segue out of that, Mark, is just to continue to look for the sunny side of everything in every community and make optimism come true in those communities. That's exactly right. And and right there, that tells you, um, you know, we have an obligation, you know, not only should we look at the signage side of everything, but we have an obligation to share it. And as I said, it's contagious. So that's the kind of um, contagion we want to spread, not not these other things like COVID, but uh, we can spread optimism around. In fact, I, I started an optimist club at, at UCSB while I was working there for staff. And we had the thought that if we acted optimistically in our interactions with students, so most of the staff deal directly with students, uh, we, you know, we didn't have, we had a couple of faculty, but for the most part, we were staff who dealt directly with students in some way. And we felt like if we could uh, project optimism while we were working with a student, they would walk out of our office with a smile and they would share that optimism with others. So you you could do it through club building, as I was just talking about, or you could just do it in personal interactions in the street. Just giving a smile. You If you walk down the street you know, and at, on campus, there's, there's a lot of people on campus. And so I would, I had people who I knew who I'd wave to and say, hello. But if I didn't know somebody, you know, you might just nod or you might, you know, just ignore people. But if you smile at someone, there is 100 percent chance that they will smile back at you. And that's what uh, I mean. But, you know, that's just a, one way you could share happiness um, with somebody uh, that you don't even know. Mark, thanks for taking the time with us today to help us break down this creed and hopefully let people know how to live a better and optimistic life. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure to be here. I, I'm so happy that uh, you're doing these podcasts. And and that's another thing, by the way, that started during my year as president. So <laughs> I'm happy about that as well. <laughs> well, just one more way to reach out and let people know about the good ways to live a better life. Please join us in reciting the Optimist Creed with our past international presidents. Promise yourself to be so strong that nothing can disturb your peace of mind. To talk health, happiness, and prosperity to every person you meet. To make all your friends feel that there is something in them. To look at the sunny side of everything and make your optimism come true. To think only of the best, to work only for the best, and to expect only the best. To be just as enthusiastic about the success of others as you are about your own. To forget the mistakes of the past and press on to the greater achievements of the future. To wear a cheerful countenance at all times and give every living creature you meet a smile. To give so much time to the improvement of yourself that you have no time to criticize others. To be too large for worry, too noble for anger, too strong for fear, and too happy to prevent the presence of trouble. Thank you for listening to this series focused on the Optimist Creed. The Optimist Creed is the official creed of Optimist International adopted in 1922. The creed is something that every member of Optimist International strives to follow. To find out more about the opportunities of Optimist International, please visit our website or better yet, find a local Optimist club in your area to start helping make the world a better place.